Welcome to Navigating Cancer Together. My name is Talaya Dindi. I'm a cancer thriver, cancer doula, independent patient advocate, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. Gaps between the guidance, emotional support, and education that are needed and what one receives can be huge. This podcast fills those gaps by sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who are thriving on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complementary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. You're listening to Navigating Cancer Together, the show that has something for everyone facing cancer. Why? Because everyone is different with different needs, beliefs, and perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. I encourage you to open your minds and your hearts. Today, our very special guest is Dee Dee Hairston. We are back with part two of our very special conversation with Dee Dee Hairston regarding mental health. We have so much to cover during this very important episode. We will be discussing mental health in the black and brown communities and the stigmas that are associated with mental health and mental illness in those communities. We will also touch on some of the challenges that families and caregivers face when they are supporting someone who has a mental illness. Also, we'll touch on grief and a lot more other topics related to mental health. I want to talk about mental health specifically in the Black and Brown communities. There is a huge stigma, as we know, when it comes to mental health in these communities. What are some things you have seen and how do you connect with these communities to help them overcome those stigmas? I can go on about this for days. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll say that I'll talk about this. When I moved to New Jersey, I had to find a new care team. And so that meant that I had to find a psychiatrist and a psychologist. And I searched, I would go on psychology today to look for a care team. And I would put in that I was looking for African-American doctors. There were no black women or black male psychiatrists. And there was one psychologist and she was 40 minutes away. I was floored because what's one thing in Charlotte, because you Mm -hmm. know, in the South, sometimes things are different, but here we are in one of the largest cities in the world. And I could not find a black care team. And Then the care team that I did find, I was living in a community that wasn't too fond of Blacks, even though they were Brown also, (laughs) they weren't too fond. So that experience, when I met with this uh, psychologist and she was just so unfriendly and so put off by who I was, and that led me to start my platform because I, I was like, they have to be out there somewhere. I am fortunate in that I've had amazing psychologists of other races. They were wonderful. I've had some wonderful ones, but it's different because you want to talk to someone that knows your experience. It helps to know when I walk into my therapist is a Latina now, and I can sit with her and tell her, I had this experience and I know that it triggered me because of my race, because I'm a woman. Generational traumas, generational curses and secrets. When I had my first breakdown, I found out that day, the next day for the first time that my grandfather lived with mental illness Mm -hmm. and then it ran rampant on his side of the family. One of the strongest men in the world. When I tell you that I shared a a body part with my grandfather, Mm -hmm. I would have never known. And it wasn't until then that I started to see that, okay, yeah, I I am going through postpartum. Yeah, have some trauma and PTSD going on, but genetically Mm -hmm. getting hit. And Black people from the beginning, we've always had to be strong. We cannot show weaknesses and 
so that's what we carry through black the superwoman you know black women are the superwomen we cannot talk about what's going on behind closed doors and generation after generation is carrying this along and passing it along but nobody is is telling the secrets mm -hmm. and when you don't share the secrets how are, how are we going to improve it you're keeping things in my mother did not share with me that mental illness ran on her side of the family. And so I'm sitting there like, where the hell did this come from? I have parental abuse. That's part of my trauma. And so I was thinking that it's all just my mom did this. My dad did this. When, like I said, genetically, here are all these people in my family that have it. And we've lost our families. I, I won't get into all of that now, but mm -hmm. we just couldn't show it. We always had to be strong. And I will tell you that it wasn't until I started my platform and I started speaking out about what was going on with me that I've had family members open up. And I don't make a big deal about what I do. I'm sharing it just because it's therapeutic for me also. It but is a big deal. It's, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. And then you'll hear people start sharing their background. My family this, and this is how I react to this. What do you think about this symptom? Where can I get help for this? And that's the only way that we're going to erase the stigma and start fighting by sharing our testimony. I tell people what you hear on my platform, on my podcast about me is not even a chunk of what I'm going through because it's stages. I, I have to go in stages and, and I have to make sure that what I share doesn't break me down again, but such a small piece of what I'm going through. But I tell people it's okay if it's a small piece. If you attack your panic attacks and get help for that, mm -hmm. then that's a step towards being better. We have to stop. Black and brown people have got to stop faking it. We have to make it known that we don't have to, Black women don't have to be superwomen because there's no way in heck that you could be a superwoman. Alicia, uh, Alicia Keys with the I Am Superwoman song, although it was moving and it's a wonderful song, but we have to let go of it. We have to break down. You have to cry. You have to fight. You have to curse. You have to get your nails done. Go get a pedicure. Go get your hair done. I used to watch my grandmother cry. Mm. Things got overwhelming and nobody outside of me or us would see that. But that shows that she was vulnerable. She was human. And it's releasing. That's a cleansing. Exactly. You have to get that out. Release those things because of this is life. There's going to be more to come and you have to let go. I think crying is one of the easiest and best ways to self-soothe. Because you're releasing those things. Right. But all of our lives, we were taught that's a sign of weakness. You get angry and you cry, or you're having an argument with somebody and you cry. It's, oh, hell, I showed them that I'm a weakling. But no, it means that I'm hurting and I have to release that. And I'm not ashamed to say that my depression and what goes along with it has taken a toll on my body. Because number one, I don't release, I have not released everything. But number two, the medications can make you feel a certain way, the side effects and different things like that. I never fought it. I never fought it. Like I still live with shame. I can't let people see me um, crying all the time. I can't let people come over to my house and see the clutter or see that I haven't done laundry or different things like that. I have let it engulf me. I have let it take me down physically, but I share that so people will know that th these things can happen and it's okay. It's really okay. It hurts and it is, I don't know, it breaks you, mm -hmm. but it's okay to share that it's breaking you because maybe you can tell me something that will help me and maybe I can tell you something that will help you. Yeah. So we, we have to end the, the secret and the shaming. 
I agree a hundred percent because people are losing their lives. People that don't have to yes. go, yes. they ultimately lose their lives because they feel like they have to deal with it all by themselves. They are ashamed of what it is that they're going through or how they may appear to people. With that being said, I really would like to ask if you're comfortable sharing, how has this affected your daughters? What are some things that they have shared with you that has been hard for them if they've shared anything at all? When I moved to Charlotte in 2001, that was the beginning of the hell that I was going through. And so my baby girl was 18 months old. My oldest was six years old, going on seven. And so they didn't really understand what was going on. And as long as mom was taking us to school, taking us to the mall, Girl Scouts and all that stuff, they didn't know that anything was going on. Even when I was hospitalized for the first time, I know that my youngest didn't understand. My oldest probably understood, but I wouldn't even let them I would not let their dad bring them to the hospital to see me. So going forward, I will tell you that both of my daughters live with mental illnesses. And I I live with every day. I'm like, oh, I gave it to them. It's my fault mm-hmm. that they have it. My oldest daughter is the one where it showed up first. And she did share with me how she was feeling. I knew that she was struggling she was struggling going to school and being around people. I would take her to school and pick her up, even though she could have took the bus, but I understand. I understood what she was going through. So I was present for that. She shared with me how she was feeling, but I later learned that it was a general sharing. I call it a general sharing, okay. but there was much more to it. And my youngest is her mom. Both of them are their moms. Like, we're going to just keep going. We're going to keep going. My youngest just threw herself into her schoolwork and just socializing and all sorts of stuff. So with her, I didn't recognize it. And I know now that they recognized when I was struggling. They knew that mom had to take medication. They knew that mom couldn't drive sometimes because of her medication Mom is in her room all the time. So if we're going to go get in the bed with mom and, and hang out because mom's not doing well today, mom's not doing anything today. So I know that they recognized it. I know that they understood. And I, like I said, I know that they understood logically, but they may have not understood in their heart what was really going on. And, and the same goes for me, understanding them. I think that when I talk to parents, I'm like, let your kids tell you whatever the heck they want to tell you. I've seen people say, okay, well, we're going to have a meeting and it's, and it's free time. You can say whatever you want to say. But I always let my girls know that you can tell me anything. I don't care what it is. You can tell me and we're going to push through it together. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, like you said, we're losing people but we're losing our teenagers. The rate is up from 10 years old, starting at 10 years old and above. I read about a 10-year-old that went to find peace two weeks ago, 10 years old. And that is a, that I understand, like that's a mind game for a parent. Like, what the heck am I going to do to help my child? Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to share, you got to be open and you have to let your baby know that anything that you tell them, anything that they tell you is okay. Let them know that the door is always open. And the flip side of it is that if you're a parent or a sibling that's struggling with mental illness, you have to share that with your family also. So it's tough. It's tough for me to see them struggle, but I know it's tough for them to see me struggle. And especially since we're in different places, but just leave the door open. The communication is important. And we're in an age where kids are using iPads at one and two years old. There's nothing that you can't tell them. That's true. (laughs) They're on Instagram (laughs) learning about life. Anything that you share with them, of course, there's limits depending on the age, but there shouldn't be anything that you guys can't talk about. They're already advanced. 
Yeah. <laughs> if they're working on iPad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a baby taught me how to use oh, you know, I can't even know. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that very personal information because when I hear you talk about you and your daughters and your relationship, one of the first things that came to my mind was unconditional love. The other thing was that is a support system within itself because all of you know each other and all of you accept and love each other as you are. And when the outside world gets to be too much, at least you have each other yes. where you can share anything. Yes, and it's important. My mother always says that my daughters and I are ridiculous mm -hmm. with how close we are. And we've been like that, like we're connected. And like you said, it's us against the world. Mm -hmm. It's been, it's us be against their father because him accepting what I had and accepting them till this day, he cannot understand it. Is he out of the picture now because no. of that? He's in the picture and great provider. And they do talk to him to a limit though. Mm. You know, what do you mean you're depressed? And until this day, we're not together, but of course we're friends. And mm -hmm. he'll say, oh, get up and do such and such. It doesn't work that mm -hmm. way. I don't work that way. Oh, I was calling the kids and they're not answering the phone and blah, blah, blah. Did it ever occur to you that they're going through something right now mm -hmm. and they don't want to talk to you? And I always tell him, it's your fault that they don't share certain things with you because you've shown them that you don't understand it and you don't want to understand mm -hmm. it and, and you can't handle it and so they're not going to share it with you um there's um, a difference yeah there's a major difference and he has learned a little bit but it's just, it goes back to the caregivers and the family and friends if you don't take the time to learn what's wrong and how to accept it and how to handle it and actually learn about the illness itself that sets up a wall and he worries about them. I will not take that away. He worries about them. Um, and he tries in his own way to take care of it and handle it. But it's a lot for him to understand because his family is one of those. We're not talking about anything. And you can't share that you have anything. So they're a secretive family. And mine is too, to an extent. But his is very you stay strong and stay focused and you got to go to work and you got to do this and there's no time for anything but just be strong and keep going so he keep has the mask to, on keep the mask on yeah thank you so much for sharing that I really believe in education DD when I'm talking about cancer or whatever it is that I'm talking about because I don't like to make the assumption that everybody knows everything. everything yeah. And for the people out there, Didi, who might not be clear on the distinction between a psychiatrist and a psychologist, do you mind breaking that down and sharing what each one is and when one would go see a psychologist or a psychiatrist? So the easy answer is a psychiatrist can prescribe medication and a psychologist doesn't there are psychologists that have that extra power that mm -hmm. can um, prescribe medication, but usually it's the psychiatrist that does the medication part and the psychologist does the, the head part. There are psychiatrists, and I'm going through this, a psychiatrist, you'll be in there for 15 minutes. Their appointments are 15 to 20 minute increments. And they, you go in and how it, how is the medication handling it? How are you feeling? And that's all they talk about. I've had psychiatrists that will chat with you and share, but for the most part, they're the medication people. The first stop after your primary care physician is, it depends on the doctor. So for me, the first step was the psychiatrist. She referred me to the psychiatrist and it happened to be a psychiatrist that was also well-versed in therapy. So the primary care physician will really determine whether your symptoms are severe enough that you might need medication or you might need therapy. 
therapy. And so that's the road that you usually start. If you don't go through your primary care physician, I always say that the first call should be to a psychologist. So a psychologist is a therapist and there are different types of therapists. You have therapists that are trauma therapists. You have therapists that are art therapy. I learned about a couple of years ago, anxiety therapy. And so there are some that are well-versed in different things. But if you're going blind into the situation, but you know that you have things going on, I think your first call should be to a psychologist because you will meet with a psychologist. They're more well-versed in mental illness and things of that nature. And they will be able to help you decide whether you want to go for medication management and therapy or just talk therapy helps. For some people, Talaya therapy, talk therapy works. Mm -hmm. You just, you know, you go and it's somebody that's non-judgmental and, you know, you can unload everything and some people it works to do that. So that's the easy answer. One can do medication and one can take care of the, the head part, sharing with you different coping mechanisms. A therapist helped me understand that I had PTSD for certain things that I have experienced in my life. I would have never thought that on my own, but by sharing with her and sharing with them, I should say, I knew that there was a piece, a bigger piece. There's a PTSD piece. There's a trauma piece. There's an abuse piece. And so by what I shared with them, they were able to share resources or coping mechanisms with me. So that's what I would do. And that's my opinion. Go to a therapist first because they'll help you start the journey. My kids, the same thing. I took my kids to a therapist first. And then between the psychologist and their primary care physician, it was decided whether they wanted to take the, the road to medicine and the road to therapy. I will share that my, both of my kids hated therapy, but yeah, start with a psychologist. I'll share quickly psychology today. And I, I share that all the time. The website psychology today is the bomb. If people feel <laughs> <scared>. <laughs> you know, um, because Talaya, you go to psychology today and you can filter. So you can go in and you put in your zip code and you put in your insurance you can put in what ethnic group, you can put in whether it's LGBTQIA, it lets you drill down all of those things. And so you will get somebody that can cater to what you're looking for. I tell everybody, that's my first step, psychology today. And there are websites that you can search for psychiatrists and there are websites that you can search for a psychologist. So. Those are the three steps that I would take. Thank you so much. Very helpful information. You mentioned a lot of resources for people with mental illness, depression. Are these resources that caregivers can utilize as well when they feel like they need support? Yes, it's come a long way because I remember starting out with NAMI that there weren't many resources for family and caregiver because sometimes we don't recognize them for what they do and what mm -hmm. they're going through. Um, but all of the, the sites that I've shared, Mental Health America, Families for Depression Awareness, I found them through a, a conference that I spoke with and they were one of my co-chairs and their whole platform is caregivers and friends and family. So it's Families for Depression Awareness. And I happen to be on their advisory panel also, but th their resources are just tremendous. And I've never knew of an organization that catered, you know, the families and friends. And I think that's amazing. But all of the resources that I shared, there's always a section now for families and caregivers. Two of them have family support groups. Like I know NAMI has family to family, and then they have a caregiver support group, and then they have a family support group. If you want to go as a family, you can do that too. And Talia, there are some therapists that will do 
family sessions, depending on whether you want to do it or not. <laughs> but there, there's that. But yes, there are so many resources within these organizations for caregivers. Thank you so much for sharing that. Very important information because as we've been talking about, a lot of times people feel like they are the only ones going through this and they're ashamed and they don't know where to turn. So I feel like we cannot talk about that enough and making sure that caregivers, no matter what the situation, are part of that conversation and they're getting the support that they need to. I want to shift now. You touched on it a little bit, but I want to talk a little bit more about grief. Please tell us from your perspective what grief is and how are grief, depression, and mental illness intertwined? Ooh, wee. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. One thing that I learned is that you can grieve everything. You can grieve the loss of a pet. You can grieve the loss of your job. For example, I'll use me for an example. I was at a job for 19 years, 20 years before I got sick. I have to grieve the loss of an income, medical care and different things like that. And so I had to learn that grief is huge. You don't just grieve a loss of a person. You grieve a loss of anything that's important to you. When my grandfather passed away in 1985, I, I told you that he was my, like my whole, and everybody said, oh, he's in a better place. It's okay. It'll get better. But it didn't, it didn't get better because a piece of my heart was gone. And I was also in, in, in the midst of postpartum depression. And so I can intertwine that here. I am grieving the loss of my grandfather. I'm going through postpartum depression. And I still have to be a mom and I still had to be a wife. They say that there's seven stages to grief. Yeah, that's true. But you do get angry that your loved one is gone. You do get sad that your loved one is gone. But there's no set pattern. You don't go to stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. It doesn't work like that. Your grief shows up at any time and it shows up in different ways. I can go to a restaurant here and I'm like, oh my God, that's where me and Gina used to go. And it'll either trigger a good memory or it'll break my heart that she's not here anymore, that we can't go together. My grandfather was 85 and he, he died in 1985, but there are still times when I talk about him and I'm, I'm breaking down crying. Grief never, ever ends. If you don't get help, the grief can turn into depression. It can turn into anxiety. It can lead to mania, panic attacks. And so you need to catch it at the start. And it's hard, Talia. It's so hard to have both, to live with grief and then live with a mental illness. It's, gosh, what more can I do? So when I had my breakdown in 2018, like I said, I went into the hospital and losing her was the main, the catalyst for me going there. And one day they said to me, oh, you have to go to, you go to support groups in the hospital and you have to go to the grief support group. And I went there very angry that I had to go, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I'm depressed. You know, I have a mental illness. I have treatment resistant depression. What the heck am I going to grief for? I'm just depressed, a grief counseling. So I went and you're there with other people that are struggling with grief and have led to hospitalization. But that was the first time that I realized that it's a thing. It's a thing that can break you. We watch people grieve and I'm sure maybe you've been through it. We've all been through it. And people withdraw. Yeah. Some people can't accept that their loved one is gone, but there's a bigger piece to it. There's a bigger piece that if they don't get help now, or if they're not allowed to express their grief, which is us in some cases, black and brown people, mm -hmm. okay, they're gone. Life goes on. Yeah. You can think about them or whatever, but okay, <laughs> yes, mm -hmm. but it's bigger than that. And 
like I said, it's not just a loss of a loved one. It's a loss of so many different things. And you have to allow people to express that. I know that people didn't understand that every time I went to Virginia, I went and sat with my grandpa. And then, of course, with my granny and just sit there at their graves. I had to go there. Like I physically had to go there to talk to them, to be with them. And it brought me peace to know that they're okay and this is where they are. And I know some say, oh, their bodies aren't there, their spirit's somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But that brought me peace. And who are you to judge how I get peace? So it it can spiral. It can Mm -hmm. definitely spiral. And like I said, empty nest syndrome. I told you that me and my daughters intertwine. Here I am. What the heck am I going to do? They're gone. Who am I? What am I going to do when I'm not a mom? And so you're grieving. That's a grief Mm because you're grieving the way you lived. You're grieving that past life. You're grieving that your kids are gone. So you just have to learn how to, I don't know, how to cope with it. Because it never goes away. It never goes away. It just changes faces, I say. Yeah, changes faces. Interesting. My youngest, and I'm sorry for going on and on, but my youngest, after her first year in college, she came home um, and took a break. And I was so excited. I hated that she wasn't going to school like she wanted to, but I was excited that I had her here. Um. And then she left again mm. you know, um, to go back and go back to her life in Boston. And it's, oh my gosh, here we go again. What am yeah. I going to do? And now she's on the West Coast and I'm like, oh my God. And so you go through it. My oldest, she's in Florida. And if she's not feeling well, mm. I'm like, what am I going to do from here? Mm-hmm. Even though I FaceTime with them, I'm still grieving that we're not in each other's presence. And that's a thing. And people have to understand that's life. That's what I'm feeling. That's what you're feeling. And you have to wait, find a way to cope with it. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy that we had an opportunity to meet. We've talked several times. I'm just so glad that I have you as a resource. I, I would even go so far to say as a friend, every time I talk with you, I enjoy it. I adore you. And I want the world to know about you. So please, Dee, tell the listeners more about the work that you do with Diva with Depression, and then also tell them about your podcast and where they can find you. First of all, I want to say, live (laughs) that you're the (laughs) one that reached out to me and I was so excited when you did that because I'm not like that I I have to send an email or just say hi or whatever and so I'm so excited that you did take that step and you are an amazing person because anytime an opportunity comes up you share it with me and I I just think that it's awesome and I like people to know that there's a network behind the scene like you we work with each other and Mm -hmm. you are my friend and I appreciate you Uh, I appreciate you too thank you diva with depression it started out as a blog and then it turned into I went to a a speaking course and I was like I'm gonna have to speak in front of people (laughs) (laughs) the introvert yes (laughs) At the end of the course, you had a graduation and you had to give a seven minute speech. And when I tell you that, oh, I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. I get it. Over, over the course of, <laughs> of the course, over the course, write your speech, um, share, get feedback from the, the instructors. And I gave my speech and they said, who wants to go last? And I'm like, me, me. <laughs> Because I was like, I'm delaying it. (laughs) And I did this speech to Leah and people were crying Mm. and people were clapping. And we we all had different, we set up stations around the room according to our platforms. And there was a line to get to me, get the information. I'll cry again. One person like openly wept and 
That's the impact you had. Sorry to interrupt you. Like we have to honor <laughs> that. That is the impact that you had. I had. And are no having. <laughs> I had no idea. I told you before that we had a woman's group on Facebook and I shared one day that I was living with mental illness. Again, my inbox was full. People were messaging me. So after I did that speech, they were like, you got to do it. You got to keep doing it. You, you have know, to. That's the purpose of you taking this course. You have to keep doing it. The instructors are friends of mine and they are public speakers on different platforms. So once I did that, I was like, okay, maybe I can start doing other things behind mm -hmm. the scenes. Yes. <laughs> you know? yeah. so I have a friend that has a podcast also, and she invited me to speak on her podcast. And that was the first time I spoke on a podcast. I was like, okay, this is cool. I could talk to people, but I don't have to see anybody. And it's just me. And that led to speaking engagements. I don't even know how the first time a pharmaceutical company found me and they asked me to speak at an event mm -hmm. virtually, because of course we were still in the pandemic. Then I met people that were on the board, this panel with me, and they had podcasts. And they'll ask me to be on their podcast, vice versa. My brother said one day, why don't you do a podcast? I am not doing a podcast. <laughs> I sound like Mickey Mouse when I talk. Not, <laughs> no. People don't want to hear me talk for 30 That's minutes. That's not true. <laughs> 100 minutes. <laughs> He's one of my biggest cheerleaders. He's like, sis, you can do it. You can do it. And he says the same thing all the mm -hmm. time. You have to share your story. You are relatable. You're sharing something that people need to hear. Mm -hmm. And what other way can you get to the masses? You're not going to speak around the country right now. So mm -hmm. you know, start and play it started on a whim. I started the podcast as behind the mask of depression. And my shtick, I call it, was mm -hmm. number one, the stigma in the black and brown communities. And number two, how we show up to the world. Yeah. Um, I even have a mask. I don't have it with me, but I even have a mask with all the different titles that I have. Oh, okay. um, so I was like, okay, I got one episode in, I got two episodes in, and, and then I got a lot of great feedback. And I was like, okay, this is what we need. Because I listened to other podcasts and it was like, they're not really sharing the darkness. Mm. And the same with books. I read a book thinking that I was going to get some help, a relatable experience, and they didn't share the darkness. So that was my thing. I'm sharing the darkness with you. I'm sharing the hell that I live in every single day. I'm sharing the side effects that nobody knows about. The medication, like I'll share the medication can corrode your teeth. I'm in the process now of having dental work. The medication and dry mouth that you get from the medications wow. can start to erode your teeth. And that's something that, who's going to tell you that? <laughs> and so that became my platform. I'm going to share with you the hell. And I'm also going to share with you some of the resources that I have found along the way. And it just snowballed after that. I research everything that I talk about. I'm not going to say that I follow it. I know the different, like you shared the statistics at the beginning. I do that. Yeah. It just took off. And then from that moment on, other people would ask me to speak on their, on their podcasts, on their shows. Another pharmaceutical company found me. I was like, you have to keep going. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to tell you to lay, I'm not going to lie and say that it's not a struggle. Yeah. Like I have to write an episode tonight. I have to record an episode tomorrow. There are times when I record from my bed because I just can't. But um, you do it anyway. Right. You do and, it the way that works for you at that time. Right. I always tell you when I start, I'm like, listen, y'all, I'm in the bed. I couldn't function today. So I'm coming to you live from my bed. <laughs> then after a certain amount of episodes, I said, I don't want to just talk about being behind the mask. I want to talk about how we break the mask because mm -hmm. by me sharing my story, I'm helping to erase the stigma in black and brown communities. And that means we're breaking free. We're breaking free from the, the chains of the generational secrets. We're breaking free of the superwoman title. We're breaking free from the man has to be the man and show no emotion. That's what I want to do. 
that's what made me change the name to Breaking the Mask of Depression because I wanted to break it. I want to, even if I can't break my chain, I want to help people break their chain because once you break the chain, you start the process of healing. Even if you don't heal completely, you start the process of coping and trying to make sense of what's going on. I found out through my journey that there is sexual abuse in my past and I don't remember it, but it showed up. And I share that to say that you don't always know what you're feeling. You don't always know what's going on. You don't always know why you do the things that you do. You just know that you're doing it. And then you learn from listening to people and from reading that the things that you're doing, that's not healthy. It's not healthy. That's Um, a great point. Sorry, Didi, to interrupt (laughs) you. That is a great point because this is something that I've shared before too. And I even realized in my own life and on my own healing journey that sometimes while you're learning, you're unlearning in parallel. Great point. Mm -hmm. Because I read something about if you had to grow up too fast, Mm -hmm. which is me, and you learn coping mechanisms that are going to, that's going to carry you. Men, they have to be strong. They have to put on a face. They have to show that they're unbreakable. That's not healthy. That's a coping mechanism. And that's something that you do all of your life. And you get to the point where it shuts you down. Or you talk to somebody else and they say, that's not normal. There are things that I did and nobody else did it. Mm -hmm. So why? Why am I like this? And I know it's a joke when people are like, why am I like this? (laughs) You find out. I'm thinking about something you shared on uh, Twitter (laughs) one time, but we won't go there. Anyway, (laughs) that's why I started the podcast, Breaking the Mask of Depression. I try to record every week and and the podcast has actually for the whole time been me just talking. It wasn't until this year that I decided that I'm going to try to do at least two interviews a month. My first interview was my daughter's. If you go looking for my podcast everywhere, you'll see that there's interviews with my daughter. There are interviews with my best friend. Her son has autism. So I did an episode on that. I have an interview with my brothers. And there's going to be a part two eventually. But it showed that what we grew up in and how we grew up played a part in some of the unhealthy mechanisms that we have now. It showed that You could be in the same house with someone and experience the trauma differently from everybody else. Mm -hmm. You can be in the same house and close as you can be and still not know that person. There are still things that my brothers share with me today that I'm like, oh, what? Like, when did that happen? How did that happen? And so that's what I try to do. I try to bring people on. You, thank goodness, you were on my show. Mm, And I'm not just saying this, but what the heck is a cancer doula? That's what everybody said to me. (laughs) I didn't know that that existed. That's so amazing to me. So I try to bring awareness to different things. And bringing you on, for example, showed us the side of the person living with it and then how you pushed through it and became a voice for it. I've had two men on my show to try to get men to open up (laughs) but my dear friends tell me no I'm not doing it because I'm a man and I'm not supposed to do it I try to record every week I'm starting to open up and do a few more interviews it's interesting and it's a it's a struggle at the same time Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't sugarcoat anything. I always tell people, you come on my show, you can see the, say the F word. If you, listen to me, <laughs> if you listen to me, you'll learn that's my favorite word in the whole wide world. <laughs> so it's a real thing. I don't cover things up. If I talk about anxiety one day, one episode, I'm going to share how my anxiety shows up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to share how there are some days when I don't want to be here anymore. I did have an episode, two episodes about suicide to share that 
there are people that want to be gone every single day and every single minute of the day. That doesn't mean that they have a plan, but they have the thought that I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I have those thoughts every single day. So those are the things that I share. I still have my blog and the episodes go to my blog. I do notes, the, the tone of the episode and general facts and include resources and the link. That way, more people are learning about mental illness. And that's what made me start it. Where can they find your podcast? Everywhere. There is on my website, you'll see either my link tree or pod link. And those two sites will show you where the podcast is, but it's Podbean, it's Spotify, iHeart, Apple. Those are the main ones. Anywhere Breaking the Mask of Depression is on those links. Okay, great. How can people work with you? Do you work with people one-on-one? I never thought to do that. Okay. <laughs> I never, never okay. thought to do that. All they have to do is ask. There are times when I will get emails to ask me to contribute to something. I shared that I'm on the advisory panel for Families for Depression Awareness. So I'll get an email from them and say, oh, this is taking place. Do you mind speaking here? And I've done it that way. I don't mind. Anybody can reach out to me and ask me to share a resource or to talk to me one-on-one. I've never thought to do the one-on-one thing because I'm I'm like, I'm not a doctor. What the heck do I have to say? But anytime, I'm always available to talk to anybody and share as much as I can, help as much as I can. If it's okay, I would like to just give a suggestion in the work that I do and what you do, mm-hmm. it's not about giving people advice or telling them what to do. It's about, from my perspective, it's about sharing what you've been through and walking with people along the way, being that force of presence and helping them by sharing your story and your experience in a sense, is helping them to get an idea of what could be coming around the corner and kind of help to reduce some of that anxiety. Just yesterday, I was somewhere speaking and someone said, what kind of experience do you have? Or in other words, what kind of degree or certifications do you have? I have those things. And I mentioned that, but I said, I honestly believe my real life lived experience trumps all of those. And so that's what I want to share with you. You're not giving medical advice. You're not a psychologist or anything like that, but you are an expert on what you went through. And that can really help someone get on the path to getting that additional help that they need. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Somebody said that to me a couple of months ago. You're an expert. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I'm not. You're a public speaker. No, I'm not. But I guess imposter syndrome and now goes into mental illness. I don't see myself as that, but I'm grateful that people like you see that. And God sees it. Yeah. He put yeah. it on your heart or else you wouldn't. Yeah. So that is, accept that. That's, yes, Didi, I am a speaker. I am an advocate, a a mental health advocate. I'm those things. It's a lot to accept on my social media platforms. I'm hysterical. I share things that make people laugh, (laughs) but I also share like, oh, I'm feeling like crap today, or I'm feeling this way. Um, And that's how I think of myself. I just think of myself as some chick living with a mental illness and she's just shooting the crap around. Mm -hmm. I just finished doing a panel in Chicago, a chemical company. I'm going to be on their advisory, patient advisory panel. I went there and as I was sitting there, I was like, I'm not supposed to be here or Mm -hmm. how did you get here? So self-doubt imposter syndrome is real. But I have to understand that I do have a purpose. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm in the darkness, I know that, like you said, God, the saints and the ancestors, they put me there for a reason. And I'm just going to keep trying to play it out and run with it as long as I can to help to just to continue helping people. Mm-hmm. And by me sharing those things with you and seeing those things and the light within you, that helps me with my own self-doubt. 
because, you know, it's wow, I see this amazing woman. She's doing all these things. And I have to remind myself of that too. I'm not an imposter. This is what I've lived. And what I lived and experienced led me to this. So this is an extension of that horrible thing that happened in my life. But this is a a new phase of that. That's why it's so easy for me to see that in you as well. And it, it really helps me too with, I used to say that too. I'm not a speaker. Why are people asking me to speak. I'm an introvert. I can't do that. And (laughs) I'm telling you, once you just take that first step and take that next step and the next step, it gets easier and easier. And then you start to say, yeah, maybe I am a speaker. And you just don't know what's wrapped up in all of that. I just have to continue to follow the the stages, the stages of what I'm going through, stages of darkness, the stages of living with my monster. Yeah, I'm just being me. And like I said, I'm grateful for every opportunity that I get. I'm grateful for meeting people like you that are sharing. We're sharing a journey. We're sharing a platform. We are two Black women that Mm -hmm. are showing a weakness, so to speak. Not to say that we're weak, but we're showing a weakness. We're showing vulnerability. And by us doing that, we're helping another woman and another woman. So I'm grateful for the opportunity. And you're amazing at it. I just want you to know that you're very good at it. We've been talking a while, but there's two last questions, Didi, that I feel like I have to ask you because it, it ties into what we've been talking about. What do people often misunderstand about you? People think that I'm mean sometimes. It's it's the face thing. <laughs> and I'm very quiet. If I don't know you, I'm I'm very quiet. And I'm shut down. So people believe that I'm disconnected, not sociable, and not interested. I guess that should be the the situation. Like my family will have an event and I won't go. Mm -hmm. But it has nothing to do with with my love for them. It's because I have crowd phobia. It's because I don't think that I look well or whatever the case may be. It has nothing to do with them. And that's one of the main things that people believe. They think that I am casting them away or shutting them down, shutting them out. And, and it's not personal. It's not personal. It's the monster. I try to tell people the monster doesn't want to go to that party. The monster doesn't want to talk to you. The monster doesn't want to talk on the phone. The monsters that text. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, people think that I'm shutting everything out. Thank you for sharing that. That made me think about something else. I have never one time felt that way in interacting with you and talking with you. For people who have someone in their life who presents as if they're shutting them out and they rather not be bothered, they're not interested. What is it that someone can do to not only not take it personal, but not give up on that person. And and I'm trying to find the right way to ask this question, but what advice do you have for people who are on the other side of that, who really do want to connect with you, but they're like, I don't know. What advice do you have for people in those situations? I always talk about my girlfriend, my friends, my sisters, and I always say they love me anyway. Mm -hmm. And that means that they accept the broken package. And I think that's what you have to do. You cannot change anyone. You cannot change their illness. You cannot change the way that they function within that illness. You just have to love them anyway. One of my closest friends loves to talk and loves to talk on the phone. (laughs) I don't like to talk on the phone. Um, Uh A quick secret People with mental illness do like do not like to talk on the phone because they can't process it. So when I'm texting, I process my thought and make sure I say the right thing. If I'm on the phone, who knows what the monster is going to shoot out? And so it was difficult for her at first to accept that I'm not the phone person. Now we message all day, every single day. <laughs> we do yeah. voice messages um, and she will say, D, are you available for a phone call today? 
my uh -huh. other sister, she's not a talker either on the phone, <laughs> but she will text. I call her twinster. She calls me twinny and she's twinny. How are you today? Are you having a good day? Are you having a bad day? And I'll say, oh, the monster's acting up and she'll type whatever. And I'm here and I love you. I understand. You just have to love people where they are and you have to love them anyway. I know that it's hard not to take it personally. I know because I've been, I am on the other side in certain situations. But if you really love the person and you really want to contribute to them healing, then you will really learn how to communicate with them and love them where they're at. My brothers, it drives them nuts that I don't talk to them on the phone every day or my oldest brother will FaceTime and I'm like, <sighs> but they love me anyway. And they know that they text me, I'm going to answer the same thing. How are you doing today? Where are you at today? That's what you have to do. You have to live off of how they're living until it changes. And you have to let them know that you love them. Mm -hmm. You have to let them know that you accept where they're at. And you have to let them know that you they support you where you're at and they support you where you're going and that they will always be there for you. And that's the key. So patience and flexibility. Yes. Thank um, you so much. You're welcome. Finally, Didi, what would you say to your 18-year-old self? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> that's a deep question because I was broken at 18 mm -hmm. and I knew that I was broken and I didn't think that I was worthy of anything. I didn't think that I was worthy of love. I didn't think that I was worthy of a boyfriend. I wasn't good enough. So I think that I would tell my 18 year old self that you matter and you belong here. Wait until somebody loves you for you. I think about how many people I've given myself to, I've given my soul to, because I was trying to be what they needed. I was trying to feel like if they needed me, then I was worthy. Um, so I think that I would tell her that she matters. She matters in no matter what. Your pieces are your pieces and they make you who you are and yeah you're worthy I think that's that's the main thing that I would tell her that's beautiful and thank you so much for sharing that Didi I am sending you a virtual hug and <laughs> this has just been an amazing conversation a very deep and heartfelt conversation I believe the conversations that we need to be having with each other, our loved ones, maybe even people we don't know who just need someone to talk to. That's what I believe in. These kind of <laughs> conversations just, man, they just fill my heart, my spirit, everything. And I, I just feel like the audience, the listeners, they're going to get a lot from this episode like they do from all of my guests. This is very special. I want to thank you for spending so much time with me. It's just important. And anything that I can do for you, know that you can reach out to me anytime you just feel like you just need some support. You know how to reach me. It doesn't matter. I'm here for you. And I mean that. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing, being a Black woman, doing this work, but just doing this work, period. It's so important, so critical, so needed. And just know that you're helping to save lives. Thank you. And the same goes for you always that you can always get in touch with me. I thank you for being you and for being open to sharing your story and my story. And I think it's amazing that you felt that there was a connection mm -hmm. and felt that what I had to say was important to your audience. So thank you so much. My pleasure. This is another thing that I, I think is so important is there's so many layers to cancer. There's so many layers to mental health, mental illness. 
And these are things that we have to talk about. And at times they're intertwined. And so that's why this episode needs to be heard. It needs to be shared on my platform because there's so many people that are they have cancer, they're living with cancer, or maybe they're actually, they've survived cancer, they're done with treatment, and they're still struggling with their mental health. It's a part of the experience. It's a part of life. It's a part of being a human being. And we have to elevate and have these conversations. So I'm honored to talk with you. And thank you so much for everything you've shared. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And anything else, Didi, you've shared a lot. Anything, any closing comments, anything? (laughs) The only thing that I would share is I'm available. If someone needs anything, I I tell people that all the time. If I have the resource, then you have the resource. So no matter how I'm feeling, anybody can get in touch with me and get help. Thank you. I just ask that if you listen to this episode, reach out to Didi if you're in need of more information support and let us know what you got from this episode. How did this episode impact you and has it changed your perspective on mental health and mental illnesses? That would be very important to us. I want to thank you all for joining us today. I want to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank you for sticking with me through this journey. Please share, follow, or subscribe so that you can easily find Navigating Cancer together and listen again. You can also find me on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about everywhere. That is it for this Wednesday. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you found it helpful. Please be sure to subscribe, share, and tell your friends and family about it. For notes from the show and previous episodes, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. I'd love it if you join me for the next episode. Talk to you soon.